welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Julius, and this is episode 79, to Solo and Beyond. Beyond, beyond, beyond. Alright, hi guys, this is Julius, back again, and I'm here with Albert. Hello. Hello, everyone. And this is episode 79. This time we're going to be talking about a number of things. We'll go through the normal news. We have a little bit of news for you guys. And then we're going to be talking about Star Realms. Oh, and we have an interview for today. We do have an interview. And I think it's going to be a surprise guest. Should it be a surprise guest, Albert? All right. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so let's start in on the news. Okay. So first up, it is almost Solitaire Gaming Month, everyone. That's right. May is upon us. Um this will be, I believe, the third annual Solitaire Gaming Month. So make sure to bring out your Solitaire games, play something fun, something exciting, something new, whatever. Just have some solo fun. I intend on it as soon as I'm done with the exams. So yeah, we'll, we'll be able to have a lot more time for gaming, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, May is going to be rough for me, so I don't know that I have much time to game at all. So, so whatever I play will be small. All right, uh, next up, Fireside Games had two announcements recently. One, the Castle Panic Dark Titan mini expansion is now available. In this, you get to fight Agronok himself. He's an 8-point monster. Uh, it also has some new enemies, some weapons, some reinforcements, which are pretty cool because they actually they look like monster tokens, so they actually go in the, in the bag and you draw them randomly as you go along. But they, they help you instead of the monsters. And this is a mini expansion. It comes in a small box, probably something like about 3 by 3 inches. So, so look for that. I actually just played a... Castle Panic with the Wizard's Tower for the first time last week. And How was that? It was a lot of fun. It was a lot more fun than just the base game. I, I personally found the base game just unexciting. And this just added so much variety to it and, and more strategy. More I find it a shame because I've only ever played the base game. I've never played with Wizard's Tower. But maybe I should give it a shot. Give it a shot. Yeah, I, I think it makes a great difference. You know, and it was the f- I was playing with my son, actually, not solo. And it was the first time where he actually went ahead that he gave me cards that he would have loved to play himself, but he knew it was more useful if I had them. So he's actually starting to play better. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That, that was pretty neat. Does your son like playing the regular game by himself? Uh, He has a few times, yes. That's cool. He does. And when's that due out? That's already out. I saw it at my game store the other day. Oh, cool. And I've seen it for sale online. The The second game from uh, Fireside Games is something called Village Chrome. They've announced the game. It isn't out yet. It'll be out later this year. I'm not sure when. Quarter 4, 2015, I believe it says. Okay. Okay, so... This is this is one that I'm watching. I like this one. Oh, is it? So this is Essen yeah. or, or Christmas time, maybe? This is... I'm hoping it'll be out around before the end of the year, because I'd love to pick it up when it gets out. This one, you get to be a witch, and you're using your spellcasting just sort of sandboxing the world you you turn villagers into frogs or teleport them around the world or make villagers fall in love and so you're trying to fix the whole world with with your uh your spells and make everything work out to get the right amount of points to be the to be named the village crone to be the best witch around (laughs) and so it's it's going to be a worker placement and resource management game where you're putting together resources and placing out your uh familiars to help you gather ingredients and to cast spells. And I, I like the theme, and hopefully it'll be a good little worker placement game, but a nice solo worker placement game. Yeah, I, I agree. It looks really neat. As soon as I saw this, I thought, oh, Agricola. But I mean, not. Well, but it's not Agricola. It's it, because it's a, it's a modular game board. So 
theoretically, the game board changes each time and gets rearranged. Whereas with Agricola, it's really sort of the same thing every time. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. It's supposed to be about, it's supposed to be $50 MSRP. So it's going to probably be in the category of a smaller box game. I don't know. Looks, looks cool to me. I'm looking forward to it. That's not bad. Yeah, me too. Maybe we should see if we could get them on the show and talk to them about it. Yeah, we can give that a shot. All right. Um, the next anime news then is the One Player Guild 2014-2015 awards, right? That's right. The, uh, well, it's the 2014 awards. I've always found that confusing. The, the awards for last year's it's the top best, game best is solitaire games of 2014. Yes. Okay. There we go. And these are closing May 12th. the The voting for the games is up now. There's a a thread on the One Player Guild. You can go in there and just vote for your your favorite games. You could watch because it's a a BGG poll, you could actually see how everything's doing and and have fun with that. You do still have two weeks to vote. And and once uh, that's all done, we'll go ahead and talk about it on the show and t- you know, tell you the winners, what we think, and all that. Yep, and we'll probably tell you all about our analysis of what we think are the best of 2014 after this comes out. And maybe we'll even be able to have an awards ceremony. <laughs> That'd be neat. All right, the fourth item up, the One Player Guild now has 2,500 members. That's such a huge number. It is shocking it's grown that big, and it's fun to see it grow and grow and grow. Um, so congratulations to everybody. Um, you guys have made it a great guild, and it's just a lot of fun and really interesting place to be. And if you aren't in the One Player Guild, shame on you. You should go join because it really is a great resource. Finally. I have nothing better I can say about the okay. One Player Guild than that. <laughs> It's what brings us all together, really, in the end. That's right. That's right. There's a lot of good resources. The last piece of news we have is uh, a new game was announced. It's a one-to-four player cooperative game announced by Games Workshop. I don't really know much about it. It's called Assassinorum Execution Force. And so it's already up for pre-order. And I believe it's up for pre-order. It's 125 bucks. although it's uh, not being not telling me how much it is in American if you go to the website. But I believe it's about 125 bucks, and it's a line of minis. Uh, to me, it's a little bit on the uh, expensive side. But if you're interested, feel free to go check it out. That's right, and, and that's it for the news, other than the Kickstarter stuff coming up. Well, let's go ahead and talk about some Kickstarter games. Actually, there, there is one, and this is a transition here, there is one Kickstarter news item, which is Danverson's game Valkyrie is no longer on Kickstarter. They decided to take off the end the campaign. And stop it because they were not getting the kind of interest they thought, and they feel the game could probably be even better. So they they're going to go back and work on it more and change it, and at some point in the future bring it back out. We have no news about when it is that they're going to be bringing that back out. We just know that they canceled for now. And with that, the Kickstarter report. First up is a game called Not Dice, or a project called Not Dice. I'm, I'm, I suppose this is a game. To me, this almost looks like a work of art. Have you seen this one? I have. I, I looked at it. This looks really cool. I agree. It it has game rules, but it looks like it's more just a, a toy or art because it's just so pretty. It would be nice to just have it play with, even though there's no rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, just putting it together and just sort of doing a puzzle, just putting it together with seeing what sort of stuff comes out. Very pretty game. Let me describe this one for you a bit. These dice do not have your normal faces. Instead, what they have are, I would think they're called Celtic Knots. Um, but each one is a little piece of a knot. So it's sort of a spiral through the die. And each one has a certain amount of different sides. You, you really wouldn't need 
to have the pretty knots for this one. So you really could just do this with lines if you wanted to and say that one side has openings on both ends. One has only on two sides. One has all four sides. One has just one side. You wouldn't even need to have all this whole knot set up like they have on the dice to play any of the games. But because it has all these swirls and loops, when you roll the dice and you want to put it all together to make one full cohesive picture with them, it comes out to be a very pretty work of art as you put it all together because all these swirls and loops come together to make a very big uh, knot pattern throughout the thing. So kudos to that. It looks really pretty when you put it all together. Um, the game comes with 18 of these knot dice. So you could make three by six, four by four, or, you know, different, different sets of designs for the games and puzzles. And there are six different types of puzzles. Now, not all of the types of puzzles are solo. Um, some of them are two players, some of them are three to four, but they do have some solo puzzles and you can play some of these. Um, you can play them just cooperative. So I think they have two that work cooperative where you can play it solo. Um, Kells and Kells the book is what they call it. But it has some other competitive versions also where you're rolling the dice and you're facing off with other people. But really just the idea that these, these dice are just so beautiful. I almost wish that there was some way of looking at them and knowing if it's a one, two, three, four, five, or six. I would just buy these and start replacing and using them instead of my regular D6s. Just they're, they're such a beautiful looking set of dice. So this one has only a couple more days to go until funds. It's going to be funding on, on April 30th. And if you want to set the dice so you can get a full set of it in the, in a box, for $29. Um, next one up that we're doing is called Vampire Hunters. And so this is another cooperative board game for one to four players, where here you're acting as hunters um, going against the vampires. And this is another game with modular map tiles, where there's 10 different uh, maps that you make using the modular tiles, and you'll use weapons and abilities to go through a campaign and defeat the vampires in different missions going across the game. Um, now this is another one that does include, um, it includes some minis. I, I don't know how many, cause I don't think they give me a full total, but it includes minis. So it's another one that's slightly on the expensive side. I believe that it's $75 for the full game, but it comes with a number of different minis for the different types of vampires. And also for the, team of vampire hunters. So you're playing through this competitive game with these minis uh, trying to defeat the vampires. And this one's going to be finishing on May 5th. And that's Vampire Hunters. Is this one that we talked about a couple months ago that there is some pictures on Kickstarter, but or on Facebook, but nothing official yet, no Kickstarter? This looks familiar. It could be. I'm... I believe it actually is, yes. We we talked about this when we saw it on Facebook. Okay, it looks great. It does. I like how it came out. They definitely have some nice minis going on here. And I know that some of the later stretch goals will unlock some more different minis. I really wish that some of these would have been unlocked earlier, just earlier on in the campaign. But I think that they're already unlocking a bunch of them. I think that they're already up to uh, 83,000, so they have unlocked a number of different minis, including this uh, guy with some power fists and some big gun people. So they're definitely knocking down the stretch goals. That's right. And the, the game funded at 35,000. So they've gone well above their goal. So that's vampire hunters. 
Next up is Hoplomachus Origins. This is the third game in the Hoplomachus series. And I personally have never actually um, played Hoplomachus. I, I have to get that to the table at one point in time. I don't know that I've never played it. I know that Ricky Royal and uh, Talks of Crits Happen both are big fans of the Hoplomachus. I think Ricky Royal rated really, I think it was in somewhere in the top 10 on his uh, top 30 solo games. Um, so I know that they're both big fans of it, and this is another expansion for it, um, which takes you back to the origins of Hoplomachus. It looks like it's got the same basic ideas. It's just expanding on it. I don't know if they have anything new that's coming out with this one, but if you're a fan of the original Hoplomachus, so then I would definitely recommend looking into this. Um, it's $38 to get the game. That's right. Now that does not include the shipping. And I think if in the U S if you add shipping, it comes out to about 50. Now the, uh, the these designer had emailed me actually. And, um, because I had made a post on one of the game on one of the threads or something. And so I asked him some questions uh, on the Kickstarter. He mentions that the two existing games, he mentions one is more strategic and the other one is a little bit longer playing. So I was asking him where this one fits in between the two and uh, he described it pretty nicely. So let me tell you the, uh, the lost cities, you uh, players start on either side of the arena. Combat takes two to three turns. Just to initiate. Um, there's a catch up mechanism. The Lost City solo players will attempt to pass three stages of battles with the boss until they have um, with boss units that each have their own mechanics. That was the original one. Then Rise of Rome, the players attempt to take down a single Titan, which is much more involved than the boss and has its own pecking order and objectives and that sort of thing. In Origins, um, and, and what Adam Adam Carlson said was possibly the greatest thing we have yet. We have a ranking system that will be in place for players to rise or fall depending on the performance and the scenarios set up for them. This will be a rather involved system and we hope it to be challenging enough. It should be quite difficult to achieve the top rank in the game. So, so it's more of a campaign sort of game where you'll, you'll play one game and depending on how you do, your rank goes up or down. And that sounds really cool. It sounds like it'd have a, a lot of replay value there. Yeah, I think the idea of these campaign games where the game lasts longer than one game and you get to carry over from one to the next is becoming a much more popular concept. Um, I know that at one point in time with Mistfall, another recent Kickstarter game that I backed, um, they also, in the middle of the, the, the Kickstarter, they came out with a campaign mode where you go through and, and you can carry over certain things from your characters from one game to the next. It looks like it's becoming more popular. I personally am excited to see more games that have this campaign going on. It really ties together, especially when you're playing solo. You can play through a number of different games. You can pick it up next week, and it helps give you a full narrative to your games. Yeah, I really like that a lot, too. So, yeah, so this Hop the Marcus game. Otherwise, it looks like it plays like in the original one, where you have the stack of chips and, uh, underneath the, the stack of tiles underneath your character tile to show your health and you're moving along trying to defeat the enemies. So it looks like otherwise it plays with the same with the same basic ideas the earlier ones, just with a few extra twists. And that one, again, it's going to be $38 to get in on it, uh, to get the game, and it's going to be finishing up on May 12th. That's Hoplomachus Origins. And it's worth mentioning, if you didn't get the other two games, you can get them together in the campaign along with this one for some savings. You could get a this game plus the original or the second one or all three together. 
And if you do get, I believe you could also get a standalone army separately. You got a what separately? There's standalone armies that you could buy. They're different units that you could buy from their website. I don't know if they have them in the campaign or not, too. I didn't look that closely. Yeah, there's a number of different add-ons, um, including what looks like a tribute to Ricky Royal at the end. Didn't know about that. But, yeah, I don't see anything else. Well, see, here's add-on list. There's a premium health, beast and master chips, legends of the sand chips, blades edge. There's a lot of different stuff. I'm not familiar enough with the game to be excited about that. No, okay, yeah. I really need to play the game. Do you do you have any of them? I do not have any of the Haplomachus. I've never actually played it. Have you played it before? I have not played it either. I've looked at their website a couple times and been tempted to order, but it is it's a bit expensive. It is a bit expensive. It comes with a nice component, but it is a bit expensive. Um, it's not that expensive. This one, this one's only thirty-eight dollars. I don't know how much the other ones are. I think the other ones are closer to a hundred dollars. I'm a cheapskate. What can I say? <laughs> I'm backing this one. And I think there's actually a mini game you could purchase that you get like a, a mouse pad that's an arena, and then you can purchase some tiles, and that's relatively cheap. You don't have to buy a whole game if you didn't want to. I, I'm not sure about that. You'll want to check out their website and find out yourself. So that's Hoplomachus Origins. On to the next thing I want to talk about, Apocrypha. So have you ever played Pathfinder Adventure card game, Albert? Uh, I I played it one time. I, I didn't get into it too much. I haven't had a chance to go back again. So I've only had a chance to play it once. I borrowed the game. I don't own it. But it seems like Apocrypha Adventure card game is the next evolution of it. Where this is being made by, um, this is being made by Lone Shark Games by, and Mike Selinker. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to evolve the Pathfinder Adventure card game and Betrayal at House in the Hill and turn it into a new type of adventure where here you play as um, saints, characters who can see the monsters in the modern day world and the modern day real world. And you get a character card and you get special powers from fragments um, to let you go ahead and fight these monsters and go through the course of the game. And in this game, you're going to be fighting against the monsters, unlocking chapters of new cards, making your way through a campaign. So here's another one that has a campaign we are going through. And this one looks interesting. The The art style of it, when I first heard about this, I was expecting this to have, for some reason, I'm not quite sure why, I was expecting it to have not nice art. But really, the whole art style for this one on the cards looks pretty cool with the monsters that you see in the design style for the cards. Um, and for the for the items, uh, it looks really cool. <laughs> it does. It really does. And it looks like there's a, a deluxe Master's Edition you could get, which the box looks like it's a book. You could open a, a leather bound, a book with a leather strap. Yeah, but Albert, do you know how much the Master's Edition is? Uh, no. Oh, I see. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> $333. Ow. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again. I mean, this one deservedly comes at that cost. This one, it's signed by the designer, has upgraded custom dice, an upgraded dice bag. It has a deluxe box, which looks like a journal with an actual leather strap 
to hold the box shut, um, designed to hold all the cards, sleeved or not. Beautiful looking box. But, oh, okay, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of money. As I said, I'm cheap. <laughs> right. So, honestly, this is one I, I will probably look more into once it comes out because, I don't know, this, even with the Pathfire card game, it was hard for me really to make a final judgment until I actually got a chance to get to the table and try it out. But if you really like the Pathfinder card game and you want something like that and you're looking for another card-based role-playing game with a campaign, I'd recommend looking into this one. It looks like a nice evolution of that basic idea. And so this one is going to be costing, if you want the, the basic box, so this one's going to be $66. And then if you want the extra chapters... Um, so they're going to have another 75 extra chapters that they get afterwards. And that's going to be an extra, uh, that's going to be not extra. That's going to be just $99. So it's an extra 33 bucks for that. Um, they are well overfunded. Um, and this one's going to be ending on May 13th. On to the next one. And this one actually was told to me by my brother. This one's called the siblings trouble, which he thought was very humorous to point this out to me. So I have five younger siblings. And when my brother pointed this out to me, he's like, look, it's us. I was like, yeah, <laughs> it kind of does, kind of does look like it. Um, siblings troubled is a pocket RPG. Um, and it's a card based RPG. This is not at all like apocrypha. This is a very simple, a, a, a more simple, not very simple, a more simple RPG. Um, just sort of used to introduce storytelling and RPGs and adventure games to newer players. It's it's a new type of thing. It really it it try it creates a new type of system. Um, and I suppose even the art sort of implies the type of character that's going for because it's this fun cartoony art of these four siblings who are going through an adventure. Um, sort of like the the boxcar children or the Hardy Boys. And I know he pointed out to me, it just, it, it just screams my siblings and I just getting into trouble as we go through things. Very light and kiddie. Like you have the big secret cards, which looks like it's pulled out of a notebook and the kids themselves are all these sort of goofy children <laughs> look like. Um, so the art really just pulls it together for me. And it's another one with some custom dice and the sort of gameplay just looks really awesome to me. I like it. And this supports solitaire play? It's a cooperative game. So it's designed for two to four, but you can play it with two hands if you like to play, um, if you want to play solo. Oh, okay. So it's, it's not an RPG that has a, like a DM or storytelling or anything like that? No, it's not. It's a card based RPG. Okay. So you're, you're going up against the, uh, you're going up against the, the bad things that are coming out. So you'll have locations coming out and the evil coming out. Wow, this looks really neat. I'm going to have to look into it more. It does look neat. I, I haven't had a chance to look into it myself, but it looks neat. All right. So that's The Sibling's Trouble, and it's going to be uh, $25 to get it, and it's uh, going to be finishing up on May 13th. Next up is The King's Abbey, and this is another strategy game which um, plays one to five players. So in the solo mode, you're, the idea of this game is you are monks in an abbey trying to fight the darkness. It's overwhelming your peasants. I'm not quite sure what the darkness is, 
but I assume it's supposed to be the the rise of the Crusades as everyone leaves off. I'm not quite sure what the darkness is. But you're trying to fight the darkness and prevent it from taking over your village that you are watching out for and trying to deal with uh, um, people going off to the Crusades and people revolting. And with this one, so this is sort of a dice-based game where you get to roll the dice and allocate them to and use them to allocate your monks to do different things in your abbey. So you'll be able to upgrade your abbey or buy new rooms or constructions or preach to your parishioners. Mm-hmm. And you're building up this game and you're playing through it and you're collecting your resources until you manage to make it through enough rounds to have conquered the darkness. This one comes with the print and play. So if you're looking to play it out and trial it out yourself and you want to print it off, it does have a print and play. So this one's going for $39 and it's going to be finishing on May 15th. And that's the King's Abbey. All right. So that's the Kickstarter report. And we'll be right back with you with our surprise interview. I can't wait. And let's go ahead and start that interview. Julius, would you like to introduce our guest? Sure. All right. Listeners, I'd like to introduce you to Albert Hernandez, my co-host. I'm going to be interviewing him for you guys. Say hello to everybody. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? It's great to be on here. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yep. You took the chance to try and interview me when I first came on the show, and I figure that now you have a co-host, it's about time you actually got introduced to the rest of our listeners. That's a good idea. (laughs) Only yeah. took us, what, five years or something that we've been going? That you've been going? Something like that, yep. <laughs> About time. All right, so let's go ahead and start the interview. Um, first of all, Albert, your name on BGG is Fractaloon. Where'd that come from? All right, so that is a – I made that up. Years ago, I used to play a, an online MMORPG, and I needed a name for that. And I thought and thought and thought, and I put two things I like together. One is fractals, and the other is cartoons. And I came up with Fractaloon, and that, and I've stuck with that name uh, everywhere online since then. It works. Fractals? It's unique. Yep, fractals, mathematical recursive objects. I guess is the way to look at it. Are you a maths guy? I like math. Uh, I'm not great at it, but I like it. And that's why you picked fractals. Yep. There's something called the Mandelbrot set, which is a it's a mathematical formula, right? and if you apply it over and over, eventually. The number keeps growing, and then you, it, you you do the formula to number, and then you take the results and you put it into that formula again, and you keep doing that until it reaches a certain above a certain threshold. And if you keep doing that for the for these sets of numbers, eventually you could then use those numbers to figure out a position and a color, and you draw a picture. And it's this amazing picture that you could recursively zoom into forever, and it's just amazing. It really is. And it's fascinating. So you said you were doing an uh, online game? Yeah, back then? I was playing a game called uh, Anarchy Online. It is a sci-fi MMORPG. Did and you do video gaming before you did board gaming? Uh, gosh, I was playing video games back in the days of the Atari. That was <laughs> the first games I played. But then I also remember playing board games when I was really young. 
the the first board game I remember playing was a uh, was a card game. My dad taught me to play some sort of trick taking game, and I don't know what the rules was. And I believe at this point we were still living in Spain, so I must have been about four or five. So your dad taught you your first game. That's cool. That's, That's cool. right. Yeah. So I've been I've been playing games my whole life. You could pretty much say, I guess, on and off. Do you still play games with your family or your dad? My parents have both passed away recently, a couple years ago. I'm sorry to hear that. So no, but um, I play games with my kids. I'm teaching them how to play games. Teaching them how to play games? How old are your kids? Uh, my son is seven. My daughter is nine. I taught my son how to play a memoir 44 today. I had a lot of fun with it. He beat me. It, it was close, but at the end, I, I kept drawing cards for the – I had a handful of cards for the center section, and I didn't have any units there, and it was helpless. So how long have you been doing board gaming then? Um, Hobby board gaming. Since I believe around 2004 or so, I got back into it. I, I bought um, Talisman, and I, I got the game, and I was really curious about, to learn more about it, and I went on BGG and found that that way. How did you find out about BGG? I, I was searching online to get more information about Talisman and other games, and one of the first sites I stumbled across was BGG. Just dumb luck. And it's just such a great place. It's so interesting. And, you know, even back then, you'd, you'd find all these really cool games and just want to learn more about them. So just you really want to play them, too. Well, yeah. yeah. Sometimes that even happens. Sometimes it even happens? <laughs> yeah. It's just hard to find time to play all the games. Yeah, I hear that. Fortunately, we all find sometimes. How how often do you play games? Uh, gosh, it depends. Um, I try and make it out to a weekly game group. I probably make that maybe half the time with that. Um, that's every Monday night if I can make it. Other than that, I'll play solo games throughout the week when I have time, um, or with my kids, and with them especially on the weekend. You know, the, the weekdays are busy taking the kids to their, their activities and all that. By the time I get home, by the time I'm ready to play a game, if it's too late, I'm just not going to do that. So it usually ends up being weekends. Do your kids help you play solo games, any? Not not so much because, honestly, I, I'm usually playing them after they go to bed. Sometimes if I'm playing in the daytime, like in the weekend, yeah, my son especially will come along and, and want to play too. And he, he really enjoys games a lot. My daughter, not as much. So what made you start the One Player Podcast? You know, so I listened to a lot of different podcasts. Um, about five or six years ago, my wife bought me a little MP3 player for a Father's Day present. And I started listening to podcasts using that. And there's all these different podcasts. And I kept looking for a solo gaming podcast, and there's just nothing. Nobody ever covered the subject. So I finally decided to just make my own because I wanted to hear one. And so, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm... My, the first fan, I guess, because I've been subscribing from the beginning and listening to every show. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that that's where the whole the whole idea came from. So you also made the guild, right? And I made the the one player guild. the The guild really was there to support the show. That was the original intent. It was a place where people go and talk about the show and solitaire games in general. But honestly, the I, I think the guild has taken off much bigger than the the podcast ever has. I'm pretty sure there aren't 2,500 listeners, for example, and it is such a useful resource. I mean, the guild is. Well, I think that our recent plays are up to about a thousand. Wow, I noticed that. That's a lot of people listening. Yeah, I'm amazed and surprised. I'm very thankful for everyone who wants to keep listening like that. Me too. I mean, the first shows, I don't think I was getting more than 25 downloads at first, 
maybe 50. And the numbers just gradually grow, mm-hmm. very gradually. And are you happy that the guild has taken off more than the podcast? Yes, yes. I, my my goal is always really to make a resource for solitaire gamers. And if the guild is the best resource that there is, that's great. I'm, I'm very happy. I mean, there. I think, maybe I'm biased, but I think that the guild and even the podcast have, have led to there being just so much more awareness of solitaire gaming that there's that many more solitaire games to pick from nowadays. And, you know, and that benefits me personally. So, <laughs> so I'm happy. Are you trying... Are you trying to facilitate more outreach like that so that more people become aware of solitaire gaming? Um, not not directly. You know, at, at first, at least especially, I was trying to advertise a guild. When the guild was new, you would see people posting on the on the BGG forums all the time asking for solitaire recommendations, and I would always recommend go check out the one player guild if you like solo games. And and little by little, it grew, and and nowadays you don't really see many people asking for solitaire recommendations on the and the general forums. And so my outreach was always just to make the guild bigger, thinking the more people are in it, the more useful it is to everybody else. Have you ever tried targeting publishers for outreach? Do you think that's a good idea to do? I've I've never tried it. Uh, it's too direct and deliberate for me, really, and I guess I'm too, uh, too shy to want to do something like that. But you know, it's definitely a good idea. Um, and my, my belief in the One Pair Guild is it's, it's not my guild, it's everybody's guild, so... Anybody who wants to take charge and do anything is more than welcome to. I mean, for example, there's the one player gaming awards and and all these other things that people have started. The solitaire games on your table, it's ideas people had and they're just trying with it. What do you think your best, biggest achievement with the guild or the podcast has been? Biggest achievement? Um, I guess it's hard to take credit for stuff, but the, just the fact that the guild has grown so much is a big achievement. And I am proud of that. And with the podcast, there's some interviews I've really, really enjoyed that I'm very proud of. Um, like? One that comes to mind is uh, Rustin Hawkinson of uh, when we talked about nations. I really enjoyed talking to Shady Torby, designer of Oneirum. That was really, really great interview and really fun. And I, I learned a lot from that one, I think. Um... I really enjoyed talking to Joel Toppin about Navajo Wars, and that was another very interesting discussion. There have been, there's just been so many. You know, I think every time I've done an interview, every interview is my favorite interview. They're always just great. <laughs> like, oh, wow, that was really great. That was such a great conversation. Have your gaming habits changed because of the podcast? Absolutely. Um, the Because of the podcast, I'm trying to talk about a different game every every time the show comes out. And so I am forced to play different games just to, to be able to talk about them. You know, in the past, I used to play the same games over and over a lot more. And now I don't have the leisure time to go back and try old games as much. Just because, you know, every two, I'm trying to do a show every two weeks. That always was my goal originally. And it never really worked out. I think it was averaging more like every three weeks before you joined. Um, and so every time I was starting the, the week I'm getting ready to do an episode, I was already thinking ahead, what game am I going to want to play for the episode after this one? Just to be able to keep up. Um, ever since you joined, there's less pressure on me, and I'm actually able to play other stuff, so I've been going back and playing different games more and more. Lately, I've been replaying uh, the Lord of the Rings card game a lot and enjoying that. And are you happy with that change in dynamic, being able to experience more games? Yes, I've, I've enjoyed playing all the games. I definitely have. Uh, I've enjoyed experiencing it, and it's 
it's been very fun. Sometimes I do miss the opportunity to go back and play old games and, and that lack of pressure. But then again, I enjoy just trying out all these different games all the time and seeing what new mechanics it has and whatnot. Yeah, I'm overall very happy. So do you have any favorite non-solo games? Um, Yes. I really like Combat Commander. Uh, I enjoyed Memoir 44 a lot today. What else? Combat Commander is definitely one of my favorite uh, not-solo games. I really like games that have lots of different expansions and a lot of replayability and variety in it. Combat Commander, for example, every time you set it up, you can do the one of the scenarios that come with the game, and there are many, many scenarios in the base game plus all the different expansions. We could just roll up a scenario, and you never know what you're going to roll up, and I just find that really fun. I'm looking around, and nothing comes to mind. Okay. So what makes a solo game good, in your opinion? What makes a solo game good? Um, well, again, I really enjoy the replayability a lot, so so games that have replayability are great. Um so, so that could be because of randomness, because of a lot of different scenarios. It really varies from game to game. But uh, I like if there's a lot of replayability and doesn't feel exactly the same every time. I like uh, if there's a lot of thinking in the games. I really like puzzly type games. Games like, say, Agricola or, or uh, Agricola or Luoyang that are both brain burners. I really enjoy that kind of game. Um, I tend to play short games way more often just because of time. So fast games are also fun. What do you consider a short game? Uh, half an hour, even less. That that's that's what I would think is short. Anything beyond half an hour is just not going to get played as often, unfortunately. You know, three hours uh, that'll just never happen. <laughs> <laughs> that some of the podcasts I've done for for really big games like Navajo Wars that that was hard to do just because it was a long game and and I really had to prepare for that a lot. And I went without sleep that week. <laughs> oh, man. That's tough. It, it was. But, you know, it, it worked out. And, you know, with these big games, if you, if you really plan them out, they, they're not that bad. It just takes more effort ahead of time. Would you like to have a place where you can just set up the game and leave it? In theory, I have that. I have a game room now. It's a nice, you know, it's, I think it's like 10 by 12 size room. And it's, it's got shelves all around me with board games and all the shelves. And I've got a nice big table to play on. But uh, I have an older cat that has to have special prescription food, and she gets fed in here. So I can't leave the, a game set up because of the cat, or the other cats will come into. Now that that cat gets fed here, they all want her food. So as soon as I open the door, they all run in. <laughs> so so in theory, I've got a, a room dedicated to it, but in practice, it just doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, too bad. <laughs> So what's your favorite solo game? Oh gosh, that's hard. It changes all the time, I think. Um I really like Oniram a lot. That that's definitely been one of my favorite games. I you know probably it's games I've covered in the podcast. Nations was a game I really enjoyed a lot. And I was surprised at how much fun I had with that one, but I would play that over and over. Um Sentinels of the Multiverse is a great game. Yeah, and again, that has a lot of replayability, just Every time you play, you shuffle up a deck. You shuffle up and see what heroes you're going to have and what villain you fight and all that. I enjoy that in a game. I like when you can just randomly see how you're going to play. So are there any themes? I know that the, when I when you were interviewing me, I listed some themes that I was really looking forward to. 
are, are there any themes that you would really like to see done? Any themes that excite you? You know, I, I've mentioned it before. I would love to see a Lovecraft game based on the Shadow over Innsmouth. I, I love that story. It's such a great story, and I think it'd make a really great game. I, I know there's a couple that sort of touch upon it, but I've never seen one that really does the story itself very well. And I think that's possible. I've played with the idea behind it, but I've, no, I really am not a game designer by any stretch. So. What about the story excites you? I just really like the story. It's, it builds up very, the dramatic, the, the story builds up very well. And I like the way the guy's just exploring the town and just thinking of all the old things. Uh, and it, it, it's, it sort of goes very slowly at first, and I think that can make a game of exploration. And, and then at the end, once he starts figuring out what's going on, he has to escape from the town in the evening or at nighttime, and it's very tense and dramatic. And again, that would be a very fun escape sequence that could be played in a game. So I'd like to see that. I like space games, I think, but I notice I don't have that many. And I like fantasy games a lot. That's a theme I always enjoy. Are there any themes that you just no, you're not going to like even before you see the game? Mm, I tend to avoid abstract games. Though I'm pretty sure if I play them, I'll enjoy them just fine. I just, for some reason, I prefer a theme over an abstract game. Um, I'm starting to get tired of zombie games. <laughs> I'm, I'm past starter. <laughs> okay. You know, and, and they're fun when you play them, but oh, just fight zombies again and run and kill zombies. Which is fine. It's just, I'd rather play a farming game, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so what what brings you to play solo games instead of a multiplayer game? Um, I don't know why, but I've always enjoyed the idea of solo games. Even when I started looking at BGG at first, I remember finding games that supported one player and being really interested by the idea. Um, but besides, a, a lot of it has to do with time. My wife works at a schedule that's different than mine. So... I end up being at home with the kids a lot of time and just cannot go out to, to a game night. So just by necessity, I have to play solo. And it's a combination of just that and enjoying solo games. Why do you enjoy solo games? I don't know. I like the I like the puzzling of the games out a lot. Um, again, in a game like Agricola, you could spend your time with it and figure out just the right way to do something and, and not worry about messing up other people. And... And, you know, the other day I played, um, the other day I played Snowdonia with, with a, I think it was a game, five, five of us were playing. And it was a really fun game, but I kept finding myself frustrated because it was so much more chaotic than the solo game. With a solo game, you could prepare and plan and do things, and it sort of works out the way you like. And the, with five people, it becomes very chaotic. You can plan all you want, but by the time your turn comes around again, the game has changed completely and you got to start your planning over. I know that with Lewis and Clark, one of the reasons I actually often prefer Lewis and Clark solo because Lewis and Clark is a game where you can, you really want to plan out your whole turn. And when I'm with other players, I sort of try and rush through it to make fast decisions just to see how it would go. Um, because I want to sit there planning out my whole turn while everyone else is waiting on me. But when I'm playing solo, I get the opportunity to sit there and plan out my whole turn. Yeah, that's right. It, it, that pressure is not there. And, and that's just the pressure, but you're not wasting other people's time. Mm-hmm. It's still enjoying the game. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, another thing I like about solo games is you could you could get a game with a theme that might be a little strange and other people just would not be interested in. Uh, 
one of my favorite games is Outdoor Survival, which is it's a really terrible game. It honestly is. But that's part of the fun of it. You go and you roll dice and you move around the wilderness mostly randomly and then you die. And the whole thing takes about 10 or 15 minutes. It's probably not much fun. And, well, I mean, it might be in the right group, but it's it's not much a game and not terribly fun, I think, as a group game where somebody's actually trying to win. But the absurdity of it is just fantastic. The absurdity of it? <laughs> of Of trying to survive in the wilderness and just wandering around aimlessly. and the the first scenario in the game is is my favorite. In that one, the the win rate is terrible. I, I doubt you could win one in six or one in ten games, <laughs> it, and it's really just random. You're rolling dice, hoping to go to the edge of the board, and that's what you need to do. You need to get to the edge to get out. And you you have good intentions, but you roll a die to see which direction you go. <laughs> so just you know, it's whatever happens happens. Mm-hmm. And do you go to conventions any? No, again, because of the kids and my wife's schedule, it's really hard to do that. The last time I went to a convention was Dragon Con about eight years ago or so. And we keep talking about going to Dragon Con. It just hasn't happened. What's Dragon Con? I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, it's it's a fun convention. It's in Atlanta. They do it every year uh, around, what time is it? In end of August. And it's a, it's a, I guess, sort of like a geeky convention. It's, sci-fi and fantasy and anything that people are into like that there's the con is has something on it and they've got different tracks where you go and for example there's a star trek track and they have a room dedicated to star trek and there's different discussions on it for well, the whole weekend you know there might be a a panel discussion on making star trek costumes or a panel discussion of next gen versus deep space nine and and so on and it just goes on and then there's tracks for all sorts of things Anything from a uh, TV shows to podcasting to to your favorite game to making costumes, whatever. So, how long did you originally envision the podcast going on for? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I didn't imagine it was going to go that long. I know when I started, I wrote down all the games I had that supported solitaire games, and I think I came up with about thirty games. I said, okay, I'm, I knew there was more out there, but those that's all I had. And I could probably get some more, but I can't imagine it'll go on much more beyond that. Because the the options were very limited. Fortunately, games keep coming out. There's no end in sight. Can't keep up, honestly. There, there needs to be at least two or three podcasts on Solitaire Gaming. Well, I'm glad that we're up to two at this point in time. Yeah, that's right. We had someone else pick up the torch. Yep, I, and I've really enjoyed listening to the show. The Low Player Count podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to the Low Player Count. So you have no idea when it's going to end? Does it ever end? I don't know. I don't have any plans to end it. I'm still having fun doing the show. But so <laughs> as long as it's fun to do. <laughs> as long as it's fun to keep listening yep. to. So what it, do you think you'll be bringing anything new to the podcast? Any changes coming? I haven't thought of anything new in a while, honestly. Um, I'm happy with it. The show's going, but I'm always ha- I'm also happy to try out new things if anybody has a good idea. You brought some great ideas to the show, and I've really enjoyed them. Um, and I'm happy to, for any suggestions from anybody. You know, at this point, I've been doing it for too many years to be innovative. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there we go. Okay. Well, thanks for interviewing me and having me on the show. It was fun.
All right, welcome back from the interview. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I know I did. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hopefully, everyone gets a good chance to meet Albert. It's only a few years in the making, but uh, better it, late than never. It's aged well. All right, and so today's game is Star Realms. This is a fun game that that I've been playing now a lot, especially online. There's a digital version. I've never really talked about digital versions of games because. I'd rather talk about the physical games, but this one's been played so much, I'll have to. We'll have to mention it. So, Star Realms came out last year, 1994. It was designed by it was designed by Robert Dougherty and Darwin Castle, and it was published by it is published by White Wizard Games. Now, this is a deck building game, um, sort of in the style of Ascension, in which there's cards in the center row that you can purchase. As you purchase a card from the center row, it gets re- gets replaced by a different card. And so that center row is constantly changing what's available changes. So it makes the game very tactical and very dynamic. I think one of the important things just to mention up front about Star Realms is its size. It's a little box game. I mean, right now you can get on Mitchell Market for just $10. There's not that many cards that come in the game. So it's not a big deck building game. There's just the one center trade row and the one single deck of trade cards that's going to be coming out. This is not a game like Dominion where you have hundreds of different cards that you'll see and each game has a different setup of which cards are available. You have the one trade deck and it's constantly cycling through that one trade deck through the trade row. So what you have is different each turn. But each game, the trade deck will remain basically the same. Yep, that's right. It, it is such a small box. It's, it's a tug box, probably 120 cards in it or so. So it's, it's very small. Think of it, two, two decks of playing cards. That's how big the whole thing is. The rules are in there folded on a sheet of paper, on a folded sheet of paper. Um, and everything you need is in there for, everything you need is in there for two or for two players. Um, if you want to play solo, you'll need to get the, the expansions which we'll tell you more about. But again, those are just really small expansion. They're just um, like a pack of cards. Or you'll need to play it against yourself, which I guess we'll talk <laughs> more about at the end. Um, so so we've been telling you what you get. When you get the game, you're going to get the box with all the cards in it. There are some basic cards you start with. They're ships. And then there's a bunch of cards that you can be buying from the trade row. Yeah, there's explorer ships, which cost two. Those are always available to buy. Um, and, you know, I keep wanting to compare it to Ascension because it's so much like Ascension. Um, when you play Ascension, there's, if you're familiar with it, maybe I shouldn't go here, but I am. That's right. Make a mistake and stick to it. Go ahead. Sorry. That's right. <laughs> so, oh, well, there's there's a couple cards you could always buy, and they're really cheap, and they're decent, but they're not great. So there are those. There's probably about 10 or 15 of those. And then there's the... Uh, bunch of cards for victory points which honestly are, are not that useful i ended up replacing my cards with different tokens and it, it's so much easier to keep track of the score with those um and then the, the center row cards let's talk about those some more there's two types of cards in the base game there's ships and there's bases the spaceships when you're going to play them from your hand on your turn use them up and then discard them at the end of the turn Bases are a little bit different. Then on your turn, you're going to play them from your hand, and then they will stay out on the table until they're destroyed, at which point they'll go into your discard pile and eventually cycle back in. Um, Now, we said this is a deck-building game, so you're going to start with a hand of cards, 
play them, buy some cards, put all that in your discard pile and draw five more and keep doing that and eventually get these cards you bought back in later rounds. Um, the types of cards you're buying, there's four different factions. Actually, let's step back. No, no, let's keep going. There's four different factions. They, and, and it does play into the game. The, there's the blobs, which are green, the trade federation, which are blue, the machine cult, which are red, and the star empire, which are yellow. And they each play, each faction plays differently. The, each one of them has the different type of thing that they specialize in. Yeah. Not that they play different. Each one of them has a different sort of strategy that if you're, uh, buying heavy in one of the different factions, that's going to determine that you're using a different strategy throughout the course of the game. Yep, that's right. For example, the Trade Federation blue cards do a lot of healing. So, so if you have those, you're gonna it's gonna be harder to defeat you because the goal. And I'm not sure we mentioned it is to in the normal game is to defeat your opponent by taking him down from his 50 health to zero. Each person starts at 50, and if you defeat your you defeat your opponent by bringing them down to zero or less health. Um. The Star Empire, the yellow ones, for example, let you draw extra cards a lot and also force your opponent to discard cards. And the red the red one works a lot with discarding your own cards, and the green ones, the blobs, work a lot with just direct attacks. And not, the red ones are not just discarding, but trashing them and taking them out of the game entirely. So you're you're thinning your deck and getting the, the weak cards out. And I think that's my favorite. I'm always buying those. I can't help it when they're available. Um, so that's what you get. When you're playing the game, you're going to start with a hand, with a deck of 10 cards. There's going to be eight, and we didn't talk too much about how the cards work yet, but there's eight cards that are good, the ships that are going to give you currency. Each is going to be worth one point of currency and two cards that are ships which do damage. Um, the currency is what you're going to use to buy the cards in the center row to damage. You'll use to either attack your opponent directly, or if he has bases out, you in some cases, you have to attack the bases, or you can attack the bases. Um, so the way a turn is going to go, generally speaking, is you're going to have five cards in your hand at the beginning. You and then you could do different things in any order. You can play cards from your hand. You could purchase cards from the center row if you've already played cards from your hand that give you money. You can attack and do damage, or you could use the special faction abilities. The we didn't talk about the faction abilities a lot, but it's pretty neat in this game. If you play, for example, if I play a red card, it's going to have its main ability that happens as I play it, and then also has a faction ability. If I play more red cards this turn, every red card I, I've played will get to use its faction ability. So so it benefits you to, to use one color a lot. And, and as I said, you can mix all these things in any order. So I could, for example, spend some money, buy a card, um then play more cards from my hand if I haven't played them all and get more money and use the faction ability. Some faction abilities might let me draw more cards. I might have more cards with money, play more of that money, buy other cards, attack, and so on. Keep doing things back and forth until I've run out of cards and things I could do. At that point, my turn is over. I All the cards I have gained and used this turn, I discard and I draw five new cards again. And that's basically how the game works in a normal two-player game. Players are going to be going back and forth doing that. But this is a solitaire podcast, so we'd want to talk about the solitaire play. Now, the first thing about the solitaire game is that, I, we mentioned it before, it, the base game doesn't bring solitaire play directly. 
there are two expansions you could buy, or, or if you buy the Gambit expansion, it has both both of them in there already. One is called the Nemesis Beast, and the other is called Pirates of the Dark Star. And these are basically solo or cooperative challenges you could do where you're, you're fighting a, an AI. How does the AI work? Um, each one is a little bit different. The Nemesis Beast, each turn, you'll, you have the, everything set up like normal. Um, and the Nemesis Beast will start with two cards that he has taken from the top of the, the deck, the main deck, and played face down. Um, on his turn, he, he, if he has two cards, he'll do two damage. Um, if he has three cards, he'll three, do three damage. But what he does on his turn, the, the card in the trader all the way to the left gets discarded into his face down pile, and a new card is drawn and added to that pile. So as the as the game's going, you're seeing these cards disappear, so you sort of have a a motivation to buy cards you know may go away or ignore them if you don't really want them. Um but I, I said he's gonna draw a card and add it to the trade war after he, he took that one out. Depending on the faction of the card, it has a different effect. One faction might have him do extra damage, one might force you to discard cards. Um I don't remember what the other abilities are offhand. But each of the faction abilities for the Nemesis Beast is different, which changes how he plays that turn. And then finally, he will do, at the end of his turn, he will do damage based on how many face-down cards he has, plus anything else if, based on the factions that it applies. And so you can, you're basically fighting this guy, and it's sort of a race to get him down from his 50 health down to zero before he does it too. Um, it is challenging. It, it feels a little bit different than the multiplayer game. Because you you always know which card he's going to take away from the center row. He's always going to take the the one the leftmost card, so you can plan for that better. When you're playing a human, you, you don't really know which card they're going to take. You you might have suspicion, but you never know for sure. The Pirates of the Dark Star works a little bit similar, and honestly, I'm not too familiar with that one at this point. I don't remember how he plays. Neither am I. Let's look him up. I have him handy. Pirates of the Dark Star. He's got the same sort of thing. These cards are so hard to read. How does he do pirates attack with equal to two times? Okay. The uh, the other solo scenario is the Pirates of the Dark Star. This one is a bit more straightforward in that you're, you're fighting these pirates and they start with less health. They only start with 25. But it, and like the Nemesis Beast, they always destroy a card from one end and add another card to the opposite end of the trade deck. But they just tend to do more damage um, and more direct damage. So this is a more straightforward enemy to play. And there's also a fan-made scenario, which is called Replicators by Sean Austin on the One Player Guild. He posted the rules to it on the One Player Guild and even made up a card for it that that looks like one of the cards from the game. You'd swear it was an actual official scenario. Um, and that one, you also use some tokens that you print out. And that's another interesting scenario. I haven't played it. I've wanted to print it out and play it, but I haven't tried it. I have played this one. The way it works with that one is the replicators change based upon the the cards that are out on the trade deck. So it sort of ties in with the theme of the different types of the factions. So sometimes the replicators will be discarding cards. Sometimes they'll be doing direct damage. Sometimes they'll be healing. And it changes based upon what's out. And sometimes they'll be putting out these tokens, these ships, which act sort of like outposts, sort of like bases. And you'll have to be going through and find them. And as with a lot of the fan-made challenges and fan-made scenarios, I like this one. Um, 
some of the other games where there have been fan-made scenarios. I like this one. I do recommend printing it off and giving it a shot. And you, you mentioned also playing two-handed. Have you done that before? I have not done that before. What I find interesting about, at the very least, with the way the um, votes are going right now for the one-player guilds awards is that one of the ones is best multiplayer game played solitaire of 2014. And so the idea of this one, I assume is that you're playing a multiplayer game. If you play it solitaire playing both sides. And so one of the nominations here was star realms and it's currently winning, which means that I assume that people are playing it solitaire by playing both sides of it. Um, I know I've done this for, other games. I know that, for example, um, Bora Bora, I play Solitaire by playing both sides. Um, so there's a lot of games which I do like playing Solitaire both sides. Star Realms is not one that I do, but I guess assuming that people are voting legitimately on this on, on this um, poll, people seem to be liking playing Star Realms by playing both sides, I guess. Yeah, I, I do wonder if those are, a lot of votes are done by mistake. I'll admit that when I first went through and voted, I picked that one, not really thinking about what I was doing. And then later I read, somebody said, hey, really, this is talking about, you know, playing playing the game as both sides. And that's not what I was intending to vote for. So I took my vote off. You know, I got to wonder if a lot of people are doing the same thing. I think this game is a little bit hard to play two-handed because you're fighting, each hand is fighting each other. And you're going to know what both hands have. And that's going to take a lot of the, the challenge away of this game. A lot of the unexpectedness. Right. I think so. Yeah. Then again, I guess if you're playing both sides, that adds strategy because you know what your other hand has. And so you got to think more about how to play against the hand that that's there. Might be interesting. Um, so, so disregarding that, if you are going to play this game solo, you need to buy the base game and the expansions. The base game, I believe, retails for $15. The expansions is probably about 10 So it's not going to be a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also other expansions available, which are not solitaire-specific, but you can add to your game. There's, there's a crisis, a set of crisis expansions, and each of these is one pack of cards. I think about 12 or 15 cards. And they just add a lot more variety of types of ships and outposts, and they do add new types of cards. One of them is the um, heroes, which are basically individual peoples. Um, if you buy these cards, they go straight. They don't go into your discard pile. They go straight into the table in front of you, and at any point you could use them. And the way you use them is by trashing them and taking them out of the game and using their voting one time. And then there's also event cards that when you draw those, they can have text telling you to do something. You do that immediately. Discard the card out of the game and then draw another card to replace it. And the events could, they could be good or bad. Some might just give you money, right, extra money right away for that turn. Some might do damage to you or force you to discard cards. It just depends. I've played a lot with the expansion, two player, and I've really enjoyed it. I really enjoy the variety. So what do you think about the game played solo though? I know how you think about it for playing two player. What do you think about playing it solo? I've, I've enjoyed it solo, but I've enjoyed it two-player a lot more. The solo scenarios are fun, but they are sort of limited. And that they're, they're, There's only two of them, really, or three, if you, if you do the one by Sean. If you play the one by Sean. 
the game has a lot of tactics and in, in, in it though, and it's fun. And every game you play feels a little bit different than the last, just because of the cards that are out there. So either way, there is there is a fair amount of replayability in the game. No two games are going to play exactly like just because of that. I mean, I know sometimes I'll start playing game and think I really want to focus on yellow cards this round. You know what? No yellow cards really come out, so it doesn't make any sense. You can't do that. And you end up buying something else. So you talked about the app also. The So there is an app. It's available for Android, iPhone, or PC. And if you could download the app. You could play for free against the AI. And it's a two-player game against an AI. And there's also some scenarios you could play solo. Um... And it, it plays really well. It's a great way to learn the rules. By playing this, I realized I was getting some rules in the physical game wrong and have changed that and corrected that. Now, the the it's a great way to try out the game and figure out if you enjoy it or not. Uh, and I'd highly recommend if you're not sure about buying this game or not in the first place, just download the app, play it. Um, if you're having fun with it, great. You might want to check out the physical game. If not, you know, move on. The The AI is a lot of fun. And the first few games are tough, but it quickly it becomes really easy to beat. Um, however, you can purchase as an add-on for the game to you, you can unlock the game and basically you now have a, a medium and difficult AIs to play from against, and you could also play online games against other people. And it also unlocks more scenarios to play. And all these different ways have been fun. I've played them all and I had a lot of fun. I've played hundreds of games against the AI and I've played through all the scenarios in the easy and difficult modes, which is really challenging. And in the in the scenarios you do also get to fight the Nemesis Beast and the Pirates of the Dark Star not Dark Star, what were they called? Um so you could try those scenarios there. And then the online games are also fun because now you're playing a real human which their strategies change a lot more. The AI's become pretty predictable after a while. So yeah, oh no, I think this is a really fun game, definitely worth checking out. Also the the digital version has a different expansion available than the physical version. So if you pay for the the game, I believe it was four dollars, you unlock that the Gambit expansion, I think is what they call it. And it adds ships and bases that are not available physically. And the and those expansions that are available physically, that Crisis expansion is not available on the app yet. So I, I find that really interesting. That's two totally different sets of games. For me, because of the app, and I think this is a rare thing for me. Usually, if I have a solo game I like, um, having access to the app makes me want to play the solo game more in the physical form. Also, I'll play it in the app if I'm not at home and I'll play in a physical form if I am at home. I think with this one, since the app comes with more solo scenarios, uh, more opponents to fight against, and they're more varied than the two that you get with Gambit. And also I did not buy the Gambit expansion before I started playing the app. So you couldn't get the, solo scenarios without also buying an expansion. So the the solo scenarios on the app are just feel more better, more varied, and it makes me want to play any of the solo scenarios on the card game less often because they're different and they're just not as as enjoyable 
for me personally. If you don't have the app or if you really just prefer using the card game, the solo scenarios I think of the card game are still fun. But really for me, the app almost kind of killed it. That's interesting. Um, I haven't played the physical game solo that much. I have, I still enjoy it um, when I'm playing against my son. We have a lot of fun playing that game. The physical game. The but the, I play the app all the time. I really do every day at least a, a few games a day, including against, especially against other people. Uh, mainly sol- mainly mainly people from the one player guild. Yeah, and it's it's worth mentioning the app. The AI is really well done. At first, it was really hard. I find I could not read the cards. I had no idea what it was doing. And it took me a while to realize it. But if you hold down on the card for a second, it pops up big enough to read it. Don't worry. After a couple hundred games of that, you you don't even need to read the card. You can tell what it is just by the picture. Yeah, <laughs> that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. that's tough. That, that's that, sad. That is sad. I know. And if you do get the app, or if you have the app and you have unlocked it and you want to play against me, feel free to, to send me a challenge. Fractaloon is my uh, name on, on uh, Star Rump Game. I wouldn't have guessed No, <laughs> I told you I use it everywhere. So, yep, I'm up for a challenge. Lately, I've been losing most of my games. Not against me. <laughs> no, the, the, the la- this last four or five days, I have lost most of my games. Just doing terribly. The week before that, I was doing great and just winning a ton. So this is this is the time to play me, people. All right, so that's Star Elves. All right, everybody, back with another solo story this month. I figured that since we're doing a solo and beyond theme, I would try and get a new Star Wars game. So I know that Star Wars Armada came out recently, which is the new um, minis battle game from in the star wars universe except that now you're dealing with capital ships the bigger ships the the star destroyers and battling across with those i know that david ainsworth posted to the solitary games in your table for april back in the beginning of the month about his campaign that he's going to be running um playing against himself on of star wars armada and he wrote up what happened with his real battle kicking off his campaign. And he wrote it out in this nice story form, which I'd like to take the opportunity to read out. Lieutenant Narwell, it's good to have you with us. Sorry that we have to do this now, but as you can imagine, time is of the essence. Lieutenant Hamlin Narwell, disheveled but straight back, stiff-jawed and still in his flight suit, had never met Commander Vanus before. Indeed, he never set foot in the training facility on Tillamon V before. But considering what he'd just been through before arriving in the system, he couldn't fault his superior for getting right down to business. He sat opposite his fellow Ord Mantellian and took a deep breath. Of course, sir. Of course, sir. There was no warning. We were flying a combat air patrol around the Dauntless and the Typhoon when the Imperials came right in. Just one victory-class Star Destroyer and a whole mess of ties acting as a screen. The corvette and the frigate tried to take on the Destroyer in a pincer movement, and while we tried to get our T-65 past the ties and hit it with torpedoes, we lost a lot of good pilots and a lot of expensive starfighters. Three pilots survived the encounter, including yourself, sending 5% losses, all told. That's correct, sir. Drexia was pretty lucky. Her X-Wing had taken heavy damage and was just floating out there. She got picked up by the Typhoon. Cadet Garon was severely wounded and managed to get his fighter docked before we hightailed it out of there. I was the only one who got away completely unscathed. Impressive, Lieutenant. Lucky, Commander. It was a mess. 
I had no idea what was going on outside or what was happening in front of me. What I finally took, when I finally took out the last TIE fighter, I saw the dauntless trailing atmosphere and taking a real beating from the rear guns of the Star Destroyer. The Typhoon looked even worse. I was limping away from the fight slowly. I joined the Dauntless and launched my torpedoes at the enemy destroyer, but despite some noticeable damage to the hull of the ship, its shields were back online and we just couldn't get through them. As I wheeled around for a strafing run, I saw a couple of explosions rock the Dauntless, and, th- and she started turning away. I broke off and followed, avoiding laser blasts, and we all had hyperspace. Casualties on both the Dauntless and the Typhoon were devastating, Lieutenant. I think it was the right decision to get out of there. Unfortunately, shortly afterwards, we lost contact with the base on Kutigar. We can only assume it was destroyed from orbit. Hamlin nodded, his jaw muscles tightening. He'd been on Kutigar for about 18 months and had known a lot of good people on the base. As you know, Lieutenant Narwald, this training facility serves as an outpost for the entire sector. You've been reassigned here because we need an experienced squadron leader to take on the job of leading our latest batch of starfighter pilots to protect this base and keep tabs on the system it watches over. Imperial starships have been hitting our outposts and bases all over the Outer Rim. Kudiger wasn't the first and certainly won't be the last. Understood. As of now, this squadron is considered to be full active. Only one of our pilots has seen any previous action, so it's imperative that you get to work right away. And one more thing, Lieutenant. Flight Cadet Drexia Vray is also en route here as we speak, having recovered aboard the Typhoon. She specifically requested the transfer, and we saw no reason to dismiss to, to grant it. Not to grant it. Dismiss, Lieutenant, and welcome to Wyvern Flight. Nice. So here, what he's playing here is he's playing a Star Destroyer against two of the other ships. Um, against two of the other capital ships for the Rebels, the Nebulon B and the, the uh, Frigate. And with this game, he's playing it against as a campaign where he's going to be challenging himself, I assume, from both sides and um, playing through the battle, trying to figure out who wins and who loses and playing through just a nice Star Wars Armada campaign. And he wrote up this nice little story about it. And I just thought I would read it out to all you guys. Yep, that was really good. That, uh, that's a great, great uh, write-up. So thank you very much, David. Yep, thanks. And I'll be contacting you. To send you a one player die. And that's it. Thank you everyone for listening. It's been the One Player Podcast with Julius and Albert. Alright, have a great two weeks. See you soon. Enjoy playing to Solo and Beyond. Beyond, beyond, beyond. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.